Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode eight of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I have with me a very special guest and dear friend of mine, Yaakov Lehman. Yaakov is the chief executive integrator of Wisdom Tribe and co-founder of Israel App and has been involved in many projects such as Chilla Vista, Forest Foundation, and Wisdom 2.0. He has managed to attract some of the most influential business people to his events. People like Tristan Harris, the design ethics and product philosopher at Google, the vice president of LinkedIn, Fred Kaufman, Clinton Libby, the global business development and partner strategist at Google, Israel's richest woman, Shari Arison, among many others. Yaakov, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Thank you, Daniel. So first of all, I just want to say how excited I am to have you on my show. You are really one of the most inspiring people I know, and I hope my fellow listeners will be as inspired by you as I am. Uh, Why don't you share with us your personal journey and what got you into the wisdom world? The world of wisdom. It's an interesting story. It takes me back to the University of California, Santa Barbara, back in, uh, I graduated in 2006, and uh, I really got my got my start at producing social ventures there uh, with the Chilla Vista Music Festival, and that was a music and arts festival run on biodiesel, solar energy. We had a farmer's market, our own community currency, and I did it through the university, which was a great learning experience, meaning how to work within a system to, to get the most out of that, and over 100 students were getting four units of credit credit for throwing a music festival, which is pretty awesome. So that was really where I got my start in social ventures. And ever since then, I've really just been trying to fuse my passions with what I believe to be true in the world and and create products and experiences that provide value to people. Amazing. And what about the Forest Foundation? What was that? Forest Foundation was a foundation set up by a guy who passed away, Morris Squire. And the Forest Foundation had spawned a few different projects I've been involved with. One is called Moshe House, which is an international network of uh, houses for for Jewish communities, post-college Jewish communities. I founded the house in Vienna. Mm-hmm. They also uh, sponsored something called the Moshe Mobile. We took a veggie-powered bus across the United States to the Bonnaroo Music Festival. A veggie-powered we t- bus? A veggie-powered bus powered on French fry oil. You're and kidding. we made a great documentary about that. Um, actually, right now, Mark Zuckerberg's uh, uh, chief documentary filmmaker at Facebook was the one who was on the bus with us, Matt Harnack, and also the founder of The Digital Detox, Levi Felix. So we had a great great time, all Force Foundation events, and it's been really exciting. What's a digital detox? Digital detox. My best buddy, Levi Felix, who through this Chilla Vista music festival with me, founded a company called The Digital Detox. And Basically, uh, he was a 23-year-old VP of a tech company. He collapsed out of stress and ended up traveling the world, landing in Cambodia, of all places. Where Cambodia. Cambodia, an island off of Cambodia, no less. Wow. And he had zero technology, and he was spending the day from a vice president of a tech company to just you know totally disconnected from the world of technology, spear fishing, doing yoga. And he rolled back to San Francisco right after the iPhone was born and saw a whole new social transformation, people staring into their palms 
bombs, people ignoring uh, their friends sitting right next to them. And as a result, he founded a company called the Digital Detox. And Levi has been been really, really successful in bringing this idea out, particularly in Silicon Valley, but across the states. People are thirsty for play in a digital world, especially from knowledge workers working at tech companies. People feel the need to, to connect to something deeper. So Digital Detox offers device-free experiences where people can come and play. They don't use their real names. They're not, there's no technology allowed. There's no networking allowed. And he's provided uh, opportunities for these very, very high capacity individuals to connect with something real. So that is uh, Levi Felix and the Digital Detox and, and very related to the work I'm doing in the wisdom space. Okay. So let's get to the wisdom space. What is Wisdom 2.0 for those that haven't heard about it? And also, how did you get into Wisdom Tribe? Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. <laughs> wisdom 2.0 was founded about six years ago by a guy named Soren Gordhammer in San Francisco. And it's pulling together the world's top, top thinkers in technology, in neuroscience, in business to have a conversation about the quality of life in the digital age. So we all know that technology gives us access to information. You know, just Google it is, is an amazing phenomenon. A hundred years ago, we would never think about having the world's corpus of knowledge at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. But in that same span of time, our attention spans have dropped 30% from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. So if you look at attention span, which is the capacity to think deeply about ideas as a metric of intelligence, it's not clear that our species is becoming more intelligent because of technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same dichotomy can be seen in social connections. You know, social networks can connect us. But of course, we've never had an era where four people are out at lunch and there's, you know, silicon walls in between those four people and they're in their own worlds. So Wisdom 2.0 is brought the, this conversation to the forefront of a very choice group of, of innovators and entrepreneurs, investors, and their conferences now draw 3,000 people, including founders of PayPal and Twitter and Google and Facebook have all spoken there. I should also mention, it's not just the tech world. We've got uh, Bill Ford from Ford Motors and Mark Berlatoni from Aetna Insurance. It's it's really branched out to many different industries who are interested in having this conversation. By the way, I completely spaced out. I only had about eight seconds of what you said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Goldfish, Daniel, has was, an attention span of nine seconds. I was just going to mention that. It's a good nine, one. You're telling me that a goldfish... Has a goldfish a- can pay attention longer to me speaking than you, Daniel. Yes, oh that is correct. Freaking, wow. That's incredible. So tell me more about the now the Wisdom Tribe. So you've basically built something off of the platform of Wisdom 2.0. So Wisdom 2.0 is this exciting space. Mm-hmm. And related to my own personal journey, I uh, following that music festival, I went out to do um, went out to do two master's degrees in Europe as a, uh, a scholar um, brought up by the European Union to study globalization from European perspective. And in that, you know, in that transition, I showed up in London, studying at the London School of Economics. I had dreadlocks down on my shoulders. <laughs> and it was in London that I tapped into my Jewish identity, something I'd always been a spiritual seeker. But uh, religion and certainly Judaism was something very, very far from my, my frame of consciousness. But uh, I did have a, a spiritual revolution of sorts there in London and following Vienna, uh, which brought me out to Israel to go learn in a traditional uh, Jewish yeshiva, a learning institution. So Wisdom Tribe is my, my efforts in trying to connect a Jew. Jewish thread into the global mindfulness movement, which is very interesting because if you look at a, a conference like Wisdom 2.0, you know, the world's top mindfulness teachers just offhand include names like John Kabat-Zinn, Jack Kornfield, Sharon Salzberg, Daniel Goleman, Dan Siegel, uh, Richard Davidson, all of whom have a Jewish background. So I, I, I really feel very strongly and passionately that this ancient form of wisdom brought to the world by the Jewish people by going back to Moses can be uh, very effective for people trying to try to live that balance in the digital age. And, and the goal of Wisdom Tribe is to make that bridge, to bring Jewish wisdom out to global 
global society, as well as to bring mindfulness teachings into uh, the Jewish communities as well as here in Israel. Right. So as you know, my audience is predominantly entrepreneurs looking to grow their business. You know, why is it important for entrepreneurs listening to this to want to know about mindfulness? Why is it going to, why would it help them? Why is mindfulness important for entrepreneurs? Mm -hmm. So the New York Times is pulling together a very interesting group of people at the end of February 2016. They have a summit called the Future of Work. You can check it out. Future of Work Summit put together by the New York Times. Actually, it's called the New Work Summit. And what they're finding and the type of speakers uh, they're bringing together are finding is that particularly the millennial generation – I hate that word, but it represents something, demands something different from the workplace. It's not just dollars that they're, that's driving them. They want to have impact in the world. Or in, the, in the language of, the, of Singularity University, the next billionaire will impact a billion people. So people want to be doing work that's worthwhile, not just that is giving them you know, financial incentives, but giving social and ethical incentives. They also want to cultivate themselves. They want to be involved in a company that's supporting their personal growth, their emotional growth, and a new generation of knowledge workers demands a different type of workplace. Mm -hmm. So to any of the entrepreneurs out there thinking about what kind of culture they want to build and how they're going to end up getting and attracting the most powerful people into their businesses, they really should be paying attention to this new work movement as well as the mindfulness movement, which is drawing a lot from from spiritual teachings, from organizational psychology to, to understand what this new generation is looking for in business. Okay, so for those of you that don't, those are the people listening that don't know you. I know Yaakov. You come across as the most chilled out person, and yet you manage to accomplish a huge amount. How do you stay so calm and serene when you have so much going on? Well, there's a there's an ancient saying in Jewish wisdom that the longest distance you can possibly travel in the world is between the head and the heart. What does this mean? You can know intellectually that getting stressed and and freaking out at people who are working on you that are supposed to do things isn't going to help. Mm-hmm. You know that intellectually. But the question is can you can you exercise that? So when when somebody shows up and says, you know, this printing is late and you know, you have two reactions. You can you're expecting, you know, the printing to be there on time and you need to get it there so you can freak out, you can start to yell. Mm-hmm. But intellectually, you know that's not going to do any good. Or you can be very calm and deal with the situation as as you should. So the whole the whole point of mindfulness wisdom and my own spiritual path in Judaism is trying to understand how to be able to execute what the mind knows in the lower emotional state of of the heart. And I've tried very hard to try to bridge that gap between the head and the heart to what I know to be true to be able to execute and follow through with that with my whole emotional state of being. Right. Amazing. Now, I was at your mindfulness event this past weekend. It was absolutely amazing. How many people showed up to that event? We had 400 people. Wow. You know, what's incredible is that, you know, you attract people like the vice president of LinkedIn. And not only do you attract them, but they travel the world. They they travel across the whole world. They take time out of their busy schedules to come to your event. How do you attract them? With Fred Kaufman, who's the vice president of LinkedIn, it was an interesting story. He he was traveling. Uh, he's got a, a meeting in Dubai with uh, the 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 royalty over there, and he was toying with, is he going to spend his time coming out to Israel? And I just shared with him my vision. You know, I, I guess a running theme through this, and particularly in the the 
case of Fred Kaufman was that I really follow my passions. I really believe in what I'm doing. And I shared with Fred that, you know, to bring mindfulness, to bring awareness, compassion, creativity, innovation into the workplace, to bring that conversation to Israel is incredibly exciting because we do believe that we can create and we can seed social change, not just on the the national level here in Israel, but in the wider Middle East. Mm -hmm. And this is something that totally drives me. And in our email exchange, I think he really felt my, my passion, my authenticity coming across and on his own dime decided to change his plans and fly out to Israel just for three days to come to this conference. Wow. And uh, it was it was amazing. People really, really got a lot out of that. And I, th- I think his time was uh, was justified. Yakov, you're clearly not driven by money because you don't make a profit currently from what you're doing. So what drives you and why are you not focused on making this a hugely profitable business? In my understanding of, of business is as a vehicle of influence. You know, I would not be happy having a multi-billion dollar company making paper clips. I just couldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't get me up in the morning. Uh, I, I want to impact the world in ways that I think can bring happier people, can reduce suffering, and can really, we can see a tangible benefit in the world. And I think if you look around at the world's top companies, they're really tied to a vision, to a, a vision of impacting change. You listen to the language of a Mark Zuckerberg or a Mark Benayoff or a Jeff Weiner from LinkedIn. They're out there to build value in the world and build value that, that's, that's compelling and gets people excited. So, I'm really excited about bringing that value into the world. Uh, that's my social side, but I have an entrepreneurial side as well. And I'd, I'd worked in the nonprofit world and trying to raise money for my endeavors. And I just feel that that is not the way forward. You know, there's, there's a whole movement of, of B Corps, if you're familiar with that, benefit corporations. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's another word for that. It's, it's, it's fleeting now. But I do believe that this mix between uh, a social a social cause as well as the, the vessel of business to advance those goals is really what today's top entrepreneurs should be, entrepreneurs should be looking at. Mm-hmm. Also, um, at the event, I noticed that there were a lot of people that got up on stage. There was something different about you. When you got up on stage, you know, you, you were so natural. You know, you kind of come across as if you're having a chat with some close friends. You know, most people are filled with fear when they get up to speak in front of a large audience. How are you so cool and calm? It's a good question, and it's taken a lot of self-cultivation. But one practical tip I can give to entrepreneurs out there is to really believe in your cause. You know, we've all sat in those pitch meetings where somebody's just coming out there and they're reading from a PowerPoint and it just feels deflated. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to listen to that. Nobody cares. Please spare us the time. If you're an entrepreneur out there and you've got an idea and you do at least half believe in it, half believe in its potential to change the world, I would recommend taking 20 minutes out in the morning. Go out, preferably in a place in nature, that's where I, I derive my inspiration, and talk it through. This is based on an ancient Hasidic meditation brought by an 18th century a Kabbalistic Hasidic master, but he says to, to be able to bring a, a higher will down, you want to do something in the world, speak it out, become fluid, become comfortable with it in your own emotions, in your own thoughts. And then when you get up on stage there, it'll it'll flow naturally because it's real, because you've, you've, you've been kone is the word in Hebrew. You've acquired that will and that deeper vision. So you're, you're very into meditating. Uh, we did a bit of Tai Chi, me and you, which was incredible. How long, by the way, have, how long have you been doing Tai Chi? I've been doing Tai Chi since I was 15 years old, wow. making uh, that half my life. Half your life. And how has it impacted your life? Or how has it improved your life? 
So this is this is another another facet of research from the corporate mindfulness movement that companies that introduce contemplative practices such as mindfulness or tai chi or to to another extent yoga in certain ways certain types of yoga mm-hmm. they found that employees are more focused they're more happy they're able to emotionally regulate themselves so to not blow up uh, you know sh- shooting an email out when they shouldn't have or blow up at a coworker mm-hmm. they're able to be more consciously aware of their emotions and regulate and manage manage them better. So I do believe my contemplative practice of Tai Chi is very helpful in managing stress and also equipping me with the tools to to make more effective decisions. Uh, And there's a lot of scientific research, voluminous research, particularly in the past few years, uh, showing the, the benefits of a mindfulness practice. And Tai Chi is a huge part of my life. Amazing. You have a wife and two children, is it? Indeed. And you travel a lot, you're planning and running major events globally. How do you balance your work and family life? It's a good question. Work-life balance is a bit of a misnomer for me. Since my business is so intertwined with my passion, with my friends, my connections, my teachers, my mentors, I, I'm kind of just all in. So as uh, as you're preparing for this interview, I'm sitting here booking a, a five-week tour across Europe and the United States. I'm taking my family on. Does your family go with you? My family are going with me. About wow. twice a year, we take about a five or six-week tour. Mm-hmm. And you know, I have different speaking engagements in, in all sorts of different different cities. I bring them to some. I leave them at my uh, family's house in Arizona for others. And, you know, I'm very blessed that um, my, my wife believes in my cause and we, we run this, this, this path together. Amazing. What, what is the goal here? What's the, what's the mission? To make the world a better place. It sounds so cheesy, but it's so tangible. It's so real. You know, a, a shared mentor of ours, Rabbi Yeshua Gerzi here in Beit Shemesh, Israel, says that the goal is to leave places and people better off than you found them. So for example, you know, I'm a guy who wouldn't necessarily push my chair back in at a restaurant. But when I view it through the lens of improving the world, that my physical actions and my thoughts can actually make a tangible change in the world, pushing a chair in, or he even says leaving people, leaving people in a better better state when you found them. And I'm really driven to make those small little changes. When I see somebody, when I see a bag of trash outside somebody's house, I love schlepping people's trash. <laughs> That's what I do. You know, you can throw down my business card, I Daniel. Some, I got some I sh- trash in my house. I'm sh- I'm, I'll do it <laughs> happily. Seriously. I believe, I believe the most powerful spiritual practice is filling in the gaps and filling needs before they're expressed. So that is my goal. That is my my goal is to identify needs and ways that the world could improve, that people's lives could tangibly improve and to step in there and to not overstep my bounds, but step in gracefully and and humbly. Hmm. You obviously have an incredible ability to build meaningful relationships. And it's not just, again, it's not just about high net worth individuals, which obviously you've managed to, to create incredible deep relationships with them enough to get them to travel, you know, halfway across the world to come to meet with you or to come to your events. Can you talk about how do you build deep relationships with people? It's a good question. And I think the answer manifests uh, most prominently from an experience I've had recently. You know, I remember two weeks ago, somebody saying, oh, you're going to go meet this person. What's the purpose of the meeting? What's the agenda? What's the ask? Mm -hmm. And I remember telling them, my first meetings, there is no ask. I'm not coming there to get anything out of anyone. I have no agenda, no takeaway. I'm coming to sit with people and to connect and to let those connections uh, just just bubble up and, and express themselves. And I find this is to be a really great practice and it's worth investing in. 
when you go meet somebody and if to, listen, if you're a supplier and, and you're going to meet a client, okay, clearly there's a framework for it. But if somebody's making an introduction and connecting you, hey, I think you should meet this person, go in there with an open mind, feel it out. You never know what you're going to get. You never know what sort of experiences are going to come out of that. And I find that to be a very effective practice for me to be able to truly express who I am and myself and be able to connect authentically with that person across the table. And I think they appreciate it. I want to talk about that for a minute here. It's a very good point that you just made. But again, including myself and, and the people listening to this, okay, you go to a networking event, you're there on a mission. The mission is you want to network and you want to get either you want to, you know, get them to use your services or you want them to promote your services, whatever it is. But you're there ultimately to, to gain more for your business, right? When I'm going to, to a networking event, that's the goal. How does a person, when they're going to a networking event, how do they not come across as salesy or pushy? You know, it's a classical case where you don't, you don't go up to a girl, you know, at a bar and say, Hey, will you marry me? Right. <laughs> right. So it's the same thing. Believe it or not, I get people coming up to me trying to sell me something on the first date. It's right. like, dude, I don't know you. And suddenly you're like telling me, Hey, buy my stuff. Buy my stuff. And this right. happens on social media. This happens everywhere. It's Email a bad, it's a bad long term play, right? A hundred percent. But then at the same time, what about the fact that like Gary Vaynerchuk says, you got to hustle, right? You don't want to miss that opportunity. You, you want to be able to, you know, take up the opportunity when it presents itself to you because you may never get it again. I might meet somebody and may, and may never get the opportunity to meet them again. And if I don't ask, I don't get. I'm a strong believer. If I don't ask, if you don't ask, you don't get. So how do you approach that? What, what do you do? It's, it's true. And especially entrepreneurs have to be very discerning in their time allocation. However, and I do believe this is where mindfulness practice helps to become aware at what you're doing, what kind of emotions, what kind of subconscious signals are you sending out? So if you're aware that you're in a pitch mode, sometimes I'll become very clear. Uh oh, I'm pitching now. I better. I'm aware that I'm pitching, I pitch, and I very often step back and ease it up. My main goal when meeting people is that they should walk away and have a pleasant experience. That's great. That's wonderful. But I'm sure people listening to this are going to think, hmm, but that's not what I'm, that's not my goal. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm in business to make money. Yes, I want to be a good person and I want to give back to the world. That's, that's also important. But if I'm going to a business networking event, I'm going there to do business, No. But business is all about people. And we've all had people that repulse us, especially that cheesy, slimy, salesy, put on the fake smile type thing. Those are the type of people that you don't enjoy investing your time in. And it's likely you don't want to invest your money in. People invest in people they believe in. So I would just encourage all the entrepreneurs to be aware. This is self-awareness. Know when you're coming across strong on a pitch. Own it. Take take responsibility. Go out there. Get what you need to have done. And then pull back and be sensitive. This is another part of mindfulness is listening, knowing how to understand the social cues from the person across from you. Give us some practical tips on that. How do you, how do you know when you're being too pushy? How, how can you read you know, the signs from the other person? Give us some examples. Some examples? I'm, I've, and people might feel this intuitive. I feel like I've developed, I've cultivated an intuitive sense. Mm -hmm. Are people bored? Are they looking the other way? Are they shifting? How's their, their energy there? How's their presence? And if you step outside of yourself and your ego and your product and your pitching, if you step outside of your world just for one second, take a deep breath and place yourself. <laughs> yeah, there you go, Daniel. And you place yourself in that person around you and try to feel and experience the, the resonance that they're projecting. You can usually pick up 
whether they're interested or they're looking for an escape route. Mm -hmm. If they're looking for an escape route, you've come across a little too strong or something has not been the right mix. And now you need to change it up. You need to engage them from another thing. You need to ask them, hey, how about you? Are you into the, were you into the Broncos or are you into the Panthers? Right? (laughs) Right. And it's a dance. It's a social dance. And it's a good question about what are the practical cues that you can pick up on this. But I will say that one very, very, very helpful practice to, to be able to cultivate this sense is having a contemplative mindfulness practice. If you took 10 minutes outside your day to just breathe mm-hmm. and clear your mind, you would find yourself a much more effective listener and more sensitive to social cues. Amazing. You know, Jakob, I'm naturally very driven. I get very excited. I get very overwhelmed. Sometimes I feel like I'm going to explode from the energy running through my body. Can you share some practical ways just to get into a state of relaxation, just to be able to calm down and deal with with whatever's going on in a, in a calm manner? I find it very hard. I'm just, just filled with energy. So energy is good, but as we all know, energy has to be directed in the right ways. So for example, if you're filled with energy right now, Daniel, I'll ask you, <laughs> how's your jaw? Are you clenching your jaw right now? You can imagine the face, just for example, for all those entrepreneurs out there, the face has more, has more, more dense, uh, distribution of muscles than any part of the body. And very often we're clenching our face, clenching our muscles. It's a sign of that energy, but it's a total needless drain of energy. Okay. Just becoming aware of, of that energy and where we're expressing it. We're gritting our teeth. We're clenching our jaw. Our eyes are squinted a little bit in that intensity. Just becoming aware of that and, and trying to focus and release it can be very, very powerful. And one of the, the teachings of Tai Chi, we all know, you know, a 50 year old Tai Chi master with a little bit of a beer belly can, can take out any, you know, boxer or a, a real Tai Chi master understands how energy shifts. So it's not how big and bad you are, but it's how you can direct, you can direct energy. So the power is in directing the energy, not keeping it pent up, but to somehow channel it out. Exactly. And exercise is great. Uh, contempt, like a Tai Chi or a yoga is great. But the, the first thing is being aware. I'm asking to every entrepreneur out there, how is your jaw? Remember that dude, Yaakov, asked you your jaw? How is my jaw? Okay. We're clenching all the time. Become so, aware of the energy, direct it in the right ways and use it for, 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 for so, positivity. So, okay, so, so, so the jaw is clenched. Now what? What do you do? You relax, you take a deep breath in through the nose, mm-hmm. and you relax it. You relax it. You train your neurons to release and relax and to not be exerting energy when you don't need to be. Sometimes you need to be exerting energy, and that's why, you know, these past few days producing a conference, I can go on three, four hours of sleep for, for you know, three or four straight days because mm-hmm. I'm channeling my energy in the right direction. But when we're, when we're needlessly exerting energy, it's not productive at all. We right. should be conscious of it. So do you find it that being in a calm state, you accomplish more than if you're in a state of high energy? It can be. Sometimes you need states of high energy, but if you're in a state of high energy in your, in your desk and you're just going wild and you're freaking out <laughs> and you're clicking the chair back and forth, there's, it's just, it's disparate. Okay, we need to know when the proper state of mind is and, and train ourselves to be able to elicit when it's a calm state of mind, when it's an energetic state of mind, when it's an empathetic state of mind. So when someone's like, let's say going into a business meeting, how should they prepare themselves to go in with, on the one hand, you don't want to come across as like you've just been smoking up marijuana, <laughs> but, but on the other hand, you also, so in other words, you, you want to have this passion come through, the drive come through, but you also want to be composed. Right. You don't want to, you don't want to sort of have your, your energy, you know, sort of, you know, kind of make you feel overwhelmed and then you're not, 
going to be able to be present and focus on what you're doing. How do you strike that balance? I'll again go back to that uh, practice I suggested. Before you've got that big meeting today, mm-hmm. take that 15 minutes out by yourself, preferably in a, in a place of nature where there's nobody else around, and, and try to tap into what's driving here. What do I want out of this? I want to get the business deal. Why? Because I'm trying to be a successful entrepreneur. Great. And and really tap into that and work it through, talk it through. And if you can own it, if you can own whatever you're going to do authentically, it will come across it will come across well and won't come across, you know, too hyped up or too relaxed. I feel it'll it'll flow very well when you're able to to be to come from a very deep, authentic place and own that. Yaakov, I heard you you're a, a beatboxer. Did you? I did. <laughs> Can I pick a pick a pick your brain now? Geffen. Yaakov, you are such an inspiration. May you continue to inspire others. Thanks so much for letting me pick your brain. And thank you to all my fellow listeners for tuning in. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.